Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Previously on Mentally Yours. If you put in one group only lonely people... Mm. There's no dynamic there. Yeah. You know, it would be, it would stay all those individuals. So, for example, in annual, annual diets, we have got some participants who have become volunteers. Mm. And those are the people who have gone the journey themselves, are very chatty and want to be volunteers. They are the glue in the group and that they are always needed. Yeah. It's just, I think, how human beings operate. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen and today we're going to be talking to the Crilly family who are made up of Lynn Crilly who is a writer of Hope With OCD and Hope With Anorexia. She's also a counsellor and she's a mum to twin sisters. And her daughters Samantha and Charlotte are also here with us today. So Samantha has experienced OCD and anorexia and Charlotte is her twin and she's going to be chatting about what it's like supporting her sister. We're going to be talking about the family dynamics of dealing with these illnesses together. Well, for the first time ever on Mentally Yours, we have three guests at one time, which is It's cool. Um, So just to kind of differentiate everyone's voices, can we go around the table introduce ourselves and also just share a bit of our mental health journey so i'll start and say my name's ellen i'm a co-host of mentally yours um i have depression anxiety ocd and panic attacks uh, my name's yvette i'm also a co-host of mentally yours i have bipolar disorder and i'm on mood stabilizers for that my name's lynn crilly i'm a mental health counselor and a author of the hope 
book range, also mother to two gorgeous twin girls, Charlotte and Samantha. Samantha has had more than her fair share of challenges, but I will leave her to tell you what they are. I'm Charlotte Crilly. <laughs> I, I don't have a mental illness, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> Yay. but I support my sister through her journey. journey. had a couple. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Samantha and I have had anorexia and then I had OCD after that. And I'm writing a poetry book on mental health. When we were talking before, Linnea was saying how you actually weren't a counsellor before this. How did you become a counsellor? How did you get into it? I think I got into it um, all through our own family's journey. And I think obviously when Sam was diagnosed with the early stages of anorexia nervosa, we spent the next few years trawling the system, both private and NHS, but it just wasn't working for us as a family or for her. And um, I ended up taking quite a radical decision and discharging her. Um, myself and um, from that obviously we we had our ups and downs and um, obviously Sam went into recovery and it just became common knowledge that um, that of what I'd done with how I'd helped Sam and um, a friend of a friend asked me to if I would help her daughter and I did and I did it successfully and I've never looked back. How did you help Samantha? Um Maybe Samantha herself can ask. I think uh, you'd had previous dabbles with disordered eating anyway, hadn't you? But it hadn't been formally diagnosed. So mum kind of understood it to a certain degree and she didn't judge. She was very just kind of, uh, um, you just got it, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And she never gave up. And she's also mum being on my case. So she pushed me to the max, didn't you? You didn't, which I think, a mental illness needs especially anorexia in its worst needs someone behind the sufferer to push them and push them and push them um and show them you know that recovery is worth it and things like that so you had a very unique approach in in treating my mind before my body whereas in in, we went private and etc and they tended to treat the body and that was it yeah so there's so much emphasis on if you reach this weight then you're recovered you're all better and that's not the case at all exactly yeah so we looked at small challenges didn't we and Mm -hmm. and more getting my life back together and then recovery came alongside that were you open with your mum about anorexia or did you kind of work out what was going on at the beginning I wasn't anorexia is a very secretive illness so I mean Charlotte was you saw quite a few things didn't Mm -hmm. you that I obviously tried to hide and at the beginning, I, but then I didn't really know what I had either. I was quite young. I was like 13. So I had no idea what was going on inside my head. I just knew that I had this something, presence, voice telling me not to eat and, and, distort, and distort, distorting my thoughts. Um, so I did try to hide it towards the end, but at the beginning, sorry. But as mum sat me down and... and I think it was Charlotte that picked up on it. Yeah, you picked up Mm -hmm. on it, didn't you, Charlotte? Mm -hmm. What kind of things did you pick up on, Charlotte? Generally, they're not eating, but obviously she was trying to hide it from mum and dad more than anyone. So at school, for example, she would not eat her lunch Mm -hmm. and she'd just drink a bottle of water um, and that would be all she'd have. Yeah, was out of character, wasn't it? Yeah, massively out of character. Yeah, was a big eater. Yeah, and because Sam was into sport quite a lot as well, so obviously she needed the energy for sport that she liked to do. So that was quite important. And there was just one time I woke up in the morning earlier than normal and we had rabbits 
And Sam used to be the one who used to put the rabbits out in the run every day. And I looked outside because I like my sleep. And I looked outside and I've just woken up earlier and Sam was doing laps around the garden. Yeah, and I just remember calling my dad and telling him. Did you say anything to Samantha? No. I thought it was all just hidden. But I was really bad at it. I think it's because we were the same age, so I was quite young as well. Yeah. Because obviously we're twins. So I didn't really know, but I knew it wasn't normal for her Mm. to be doing that around the garden. Yeah, so I didn't say anything to Sam, but obviously Dad being having more life experience also knew it wasn't wasn't the normal thing to do. Yeah, there was a big disconnect elephant in the room that I was doing all these things that I didn't want Charlotte to to know, but Charlotte knew it, but Mm. I probably knew. I pretty much knew all the things. But she, I probably knew deep down inside that she could have found out in some way. I think I hid some stuff in your room and your bin and stuff. (laughs) She used to find like stuff that I hid. Um, I think also dad didn't, um, my husband, who's lovely, very supportive, but he just didn't get it. And he couldn't see that there was anything wrong to start with. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it was probably, you know, I think as a mum, I knew that things weren't quite right. But you, at mm-hmm. 13, you never dream that your child's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, diagnosed. Maybe it's a lot more talked about now, mm-hmm. but obviously this was 14 mm-hmm. years ago. I do feel like if it was now, yes. it would be a lot more like straight away you'd know a little bit more. Even if you knew that that's what it was but didn't know what to do you'd still know whereas like a lot of people thought that Sam had like a terminal illness and stuff like no one would have thought that it was an eating disorder like because my mm. weight was so low we didn't know this at the time did we no and people thought we were like because we were very lucky the school they were in supported us unconditionally mm-hmm. so um she was she stayed in school at a level that she could cope with um but then obviously then that all she did recover from that. She's fully recovered from the eating disorder now, but it's left with OCD. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. But then from what I've learnt, I think that OCD, anorexia and eating disorders are a form of OCD. Oh, yeah, they seem so linked. Yes, sure. Some of the they're thinking so patterns. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So um, after having that experience with anorexia, were you then more able to be open when you start experiencing OCD symptoms? For sure, 100%. I mean, at the beginning, when I recovered from the anorexia, there was still something that wasn't quite right. It was, I was still, hadn't quite found where I belong, and I was still a bit just, I think I was just, um, what's it called? Where you're prone, I think I was just a bit more prone to it. A bit more susceptible. A bit more susceptible, yeah. And, um, I mean, at first I did keep it to myself because... I'd already put the family through so much with the anorexia. I didn't want to be like, hey, guys, just roll in and look what I've got now (laughs) kind of thing. So I hid it for as long as I could at the beginning. And then I think you two started to notice very odd behaviour again. Um, And the OCD was revolved around food, colours, not having too many colours in one day. And it was weird because sometimes I couldn't, I didn't want to eat because I couldn't get anything to fit. So it's just easier not to eat. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get something like I couldn't have chicken lunch and dinner. So I would. So I would then. I then lost a bit of weight. So it then did look like the anorexia could have come back, but it wasn't. And that was the frustrating thing because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, it's not anorexia. I don't know what it is. Then obviously you guys were like, you sat me down and you're like, what is going on? Like. And then we went away, didn't we? I took Sam yeah. away for a week. <laughs> 
and that, and that was probably the worst week of my life because yeah, we realised how bad the yeah. OCD was. We went down to Spain. Because mm. um, I was with you 24-7 then, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, she couldn't get away with anything. Was yeah. that a deliberate kind of decision to take you no, out? No, it was just, there was just some days and I just said that things it's weren't just, good at home. Because I was on holiday. Yes. Oh. Um, Yeah, and things weren't good at, you you know, the the pressure was back on at home and it was the old atmosphere was back and Mm. um, everyone was treading on something wasn't quite right. But then it was when we realised what it was. Yeah, once we sat down and and I was actually like, this is what's happening, then Mm. I was totally honest. Then we just spoke about everything, didn't we? And you didn't want to go anywhere. We just knuckled down and did it again. Yeah, and... I, and I and I told you a few things at the beginning. You just didn't judge. You were just like, right, let's just sort it out. So then it just became easier to talk about it. And then, yeah, we've just been honest, like ever, very open ever since, haven't we? Mm. And with Charlotte as well. And even now, my husband, because obviously the whole thing had did affect Sam's relationship with her dad. Because mm. Kevin just doesn't, even to this day, he doesn't get it. He's hugely supportive. I totally get. And he's totally my rock, but he just doesn't get it. But even now, because he sort of met Sam in the middle, they actually laugh about it, and and he he he. I think he gets it more now than what he's ever done. Yeah. Um. But no, we've just we've all worked together, and here we are. You mentioned um, briefly your recovery from anorexia, um, which is incredible. Obviously, there'll be people listening to this sort of struggling with their own sort of mental health issues generally and also eating disorders. Um, what helped you personally and how did you sort of work towards recovery? I do think mum was a massive part in my family. They were very, like, I had a very close-knit, supportive family. And I think his anorexia is so brainwashing. My family helped me see how the, the crazy side of it. They, they, I kind of, I always say I had, like, a balance. I had, like devil which was a voice on one shoulder then I had the angel which was the other which was my family that were trying to kind of override the the bad voices and and um I think I just looked around and and I looked at what was happening to my family and it was tearing them apart and I had to sit down and have some like real truths with myself and sit down because you know when you're going through anorexia you know none of it makes sense you know that it's that it's absolutely crazy but you just can't do anything about it. And I had to sit down and literally think, what What am I doing? This is crazy. But you just snapped one day, didn't you? But yeah, I had Not... this awakening. It was really weird. Yeah. But everyone's like, how did you get it? And well, no, we'd had a really heavy talk, yeah. hadn't we, the day before. Um, and I think Sam had said to me, well, what can we do? And I, and I think I just said, I mean, we were literally at rock bottom. And mm. I just said, we can't do anything. You know, we have done everything that we possibly could. Mm. It has to come from you. Because I think that's my kind of question is, when you're helping someone through treatment, but you're also still their mum and it's affecting you, how do you kind I mean, of balance that? I mean, a lot of people that? don't think that that works. Mm. When within my work, I work very tightly with the mums and, and it can work, it does work. Um I think when I did an interview once, someone said to me, what would you have done if Sam hadn't got better? And that really made me think. And I thought, for me, it was never an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also never accept that this is as good as it gets because it can get better. What I find really interesting as well, I have to say, is kind of the decision that you've made um, personally to 
to deal with this within the family because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people when they have mental health issues they like to talk to counsellors who are completely objective away from a family mm-hmm. there might be a family situation going on it sounds sounds great like you're a very close family but I think for a lot of us you know sometimes you might want to talk to somebody who's completely out of a situation you might want to rant about your parents well but... yeah exactly and especially well, when you're a teenager might, want to do that <laughs> might take that one up yes. <laughs> what um, made you sort of decide to to get help in this setting I think I, well, I'd had previous experience with um, I went to the Priory NHS um, hip, I ha- I've had like alternative therapy hypnotherapy and um, and I didn't find the treatment at all very good in my experience sorry can I say yeah of course because you found it not personal wasn't yeah. it mm. and maybe that's why just thinking outside the box maybe that's mm. why you liked it with the family because we knew you and stuff whereas when we used to go like to other places they didn't necessarily have the time to get to know you and you felt a bit like a number didn't you and they didn't back then I don't know if it's different now they just didn't have an understanding of it they just Mm -hmm. I remember we didn't actually talk about it I just got a meal plan and it was literally like have McDonald's for breakfast donuts like just so Mm -hmm. much stuff like the worst stuff someone with anorexia could think of just go home and eat it and and I think one of them was even very rude to Charlotte as well they started they started to say you know I think I can't remember who it was just said you know Charlotte's they started blaming it on you and Mm -hmm. that it was Charlotte's fault and they just didn't get it but I was quite an athletic body Mm -hmm. and now we kind of switched but (laughs) no (laughs) no and Sam you just had like a little little bit because Sam I never used to eat like junk food and Sam loved it. So even though you were into sport, we just had slightly different body types. Mm-hmm. And I think they just didn't know. They kind of wanted a reason for it happening. Yeah. So they just sat there and said, well, it's because she wanted your body. So it's kind of your fault. That's just what they, that's what they said. There is, it's not unusual. Yeah. There is yeah. quite a lot of blame yeah. flung about. Well, absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean just... Kevin and I were made yeah. to feel like we were, it was our fault. Uh, at one point I think that is the tendency and when it you go so much in. pressure on the family yeah. you know dynamics I mean the illness itself puts a lot of pressure mm. on the family dynamics without being told that you know it's your fault or your fault or mm. your fault or because the way that I work I there's no blame mm. you know I always yeah. say to the mums and the dads you're doing the best mm. that you can Sometimes whatever that is no well, some no it there just isn't sort of, it just yeah. happens well, well, we're twins, aren't we? And you've had no experience with mental health, and then it's just yeah. me. I think and some people are more susceptible than others. Yeah. Um, and I do agree with Charlotte. Sometimes I, I don't think there's ever people are always looking for a reason, and it sometimes it can just be a culmination of different things. And mm-hmm. you know, for us, um, you know, because we spent so long and trying so many different types of treatment and they weren't working that was actually what made Sam worse I think it's interesting how you were saying how um it affected the family dynamics having the blame but also the illness itself how did your kind of family get affected not just by anxiety and OCD but the decision to deal with it as a family and deal with it together I don't think we had any choice really <laughs> they had I think, to well when we've been out I mean with the eating disorder obviously we had spent about three or four years going around different places and um I think I'd we were all sat in a family counseling meeting and I just looked around at my family and it was we, we'd fallen apart we, we were mm. former shadow of the exuberant 
you know, full of life family that we were happy. And um, I just said to my husband, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. We, we were going to do it ourselves. And we sat down and we talked about it. And it wasn't, I'm, I'm making it sound easy, but it, it really wasn't. But at the time, it seemed the right thing to do. Um, and then I think when we realised in that hotel room in Spain what was going on, you know, I, I said to Sam, we're going to have to find somewhere or someone from, you know, that's experienced in this. And she said, I don't want to. We just want to do it. As a fat, I just want to do it at home. So I came home and took Charlotte out. The three of us went out for dinner. Um, and obviously Charlotte, being Charlotte, was 100% behind mm-hmm. her sister. And um, then obviously my husband, who didn't get it straight away, but, you know, once I think he realised he saw mm-hmm. it for his own eyes, um, some of the stuff that was going on. And, yeah, it's just what we do. But out of it has come so much good. It's come the books and my work. And obviously now Mm. the girls are very open about helping other people. And I think it helps being open because then also... Yeah, talking about it. Yeah, there are like certain foods we can't have around. So when Sam comes to my house, I just make sure I hide the foods that she can't be around. Mm. But it's not a big deal. And my partner, like, he's the same as dad. Like, he doesn't get it. But straight Mm. away and and he'll say to me, I'm hungry can I can I eat this and I'm like I'm like oh sometimes I say go and ask Sam if you can eat it because and if Sam says oh I'd rather you didn't like he'll just be like okay or like I don't know some things like that like and he's quite open with you about it isn't he like yeah, he'll talk yeah. to you or he'll just laugh about it Sam what's yeah. that about is that to do with the OCD that's all around like food again and and I could probably tell the story but it wouldn't take ages but yeah, I find it really hard to be around certain foods, mainly like junk food and things like that. So yeah, I just, like I used to find it really difficult to go into like cafes and I would see like a hot chocolate thing up there and I'd have to walk out. It was really, really strange. And sometimes I still don't even know the reason behind it. So when you talk about it or when yeah. I'm like, do you mind if we don't have that? We don't go into detail of it. We just go, yeah, no, that's okay. I do. Well, sometimes um, you'll say, she knows I like I like the food she hates but sometimes if we're out and you're feeling like you want to like challenge it or something she'll say oh do you want to have one of those Mm. like I don't know whatever it is like something that if she was maybe having like a harder day we would just completely avoid or but if you're feeling like challenging it well we maybe go into a cafe and you go oh do you want to try that brownie or or flapjack or something and I'll be like okay yeah and then we'll just sit there and eat it and then because I I think it's important to challenge it like we again as as the fam my family is so amazing in that we don't have them foods at home we just have the foods that I can cope with and then when I was at university obviously loads of the students had so much stuff that I found hard to be around so I would challenge myself during the day and then when I came home at night Mm -hmm. that would then be my kind of safe place um and luckily you've helped a bit haven't you with your place and stuff but when I'm gone I'm sure it all flows out <laughs> um, no it took yeah. me you've helped us be healthier so I think one of the things that a lot of families worry about is doing or saying the wrong thing and making things worse and as a result they maybe don't say anything or do anything yeah. how do you deal with that fear I don't we think just, we, we we just we just, just say it. it now I mean people did in the early days did tiptoe about particularly when the eating disorder was around. But I think with the OCD, you know, I think, no, we we just say it now. I mean, even when we go out for dinners, it's all 
Because that's what we that's what we want as a family. Mm. That's what, how we want. I think it depends on how the person suffering feels about it as well. Yes. Though. Yeah. Definitely, because yeah. Sam's super open about it. So I'm sure she. Because sometimes, like, because you want to challenge yourself, you just don't say anything, and you won't. You wouldn't even know, like, half the time that you're struggling or something. But I do think it. I think Sam's really good, even though obviously you prefer not to have it but you're really open about it and you let us ask questions and stuff yeah or or you just or if we're gonna go somewhere if we like plan to go for dinner and then like you don't want to go there and you'd rather go somewhere else you just say oh can we just change the restaurant and we do yeah i i always say like if like i don't want anyone ever to be on eggshells or i hate the thought of there being an elephant in the room or someone worrying because i always say you know even if you do say something it's me that's the irrational thinker. You guys are, are normal. You guys are whatever normal is these days are the rational thinkers. It's me. It's not you guys that have done something wrong. Wrong. You've done something very normal. Like if you have something that maybe I find difficult, and you didn't know, but I I didn't say anything. You're just doing normal behaviour. I'm the one that's got. I'm the one that's got these irrational thoughts. So it's never your fault. It's never anyone else's fault. It's always I always say you know it's me. It's not anyone else doing anything wrong. They're just doing n- normal things, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I think I there's also, don't sense. be afraid to talk about it. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to talk I about it. I think parents especially. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I see that within my work sometimes. But sometimes the, the person that is suffering does want to talk about it. But obviously yeah. they're afraid of upsetting you, you know their parents or their siblings or, or whatever or they don't know how to but once you actually start that conversation it is I mean we are incredibly open but we haven't always been like this. Lynn when you made the decision to sort of face this all together as a family what training did you undergo? Uh, for the eating disorder I did a lot of home studying read a lot of books and I did a positive thinking NLP practitioner course um but it was more, dare it's I say, more qualified through your experience. Yeah, actually, and with with the OCD, it's just um, well, I don't know. I've just learned as I've gone along. If I have to be really honest. Yeah, I, I've just told you everything, so you can have an understanding of everything of how the mind works. Yeah. What happens when there are things that you you might find difficult to sort of share with your family? Do you write them down, or because there must be. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just thinking, just from my own experience. Because um, sometimes my um, boyfriend, he's he, he fiance, fiance, yeah, He he always says, "Tell me everything." Like I want to know everything, but sometimes I just I'd, I'd, I'd be speaking to you every day, every minute of every day. If I told you everything, so it would just be if something was really I found it super hard that I literally couldn't do, then I will tell you. Um, but yeah, there are some things I just get on with and do. Because your poems are very deep. So do you sometimes share oh, your emotions yes, through your poem? Yeah, that's a good like. point. Yeah, I do. You write, I write it through poetry. I think I've done it since I was very young. I found yeah. a poem that she'd written me about for a birthday about 10 years ago, and it was in my purse. Mm. And so she was still writing poetry then, mm. but um, she's just written Anna for the second edition of Hope with Eating Disorders. And that, Anna, um, and that made my made me choke. Mm. 
mm-hmm. at the end of that. I'll send mm-hmm. I'll send it to you. Later. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, I'm sure that is a medium that really allows you to be completely honest. Yeah, sometimes I do get like bizarre thoughts that I don't write down, and sometimes I find when I say them or when I tell someone, it makes them more real. Mm-hmm. So I just put them to the back of my head and just say that's not even a thing. That's not even something that's going to happen or happen. So I just get rid of it. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'll write it in, in poetry or or I will tell you guys if it's something that I find mm-hmm. really hard. I think Sam's sort of learned she does have an inner strength. And, you know, at the end of the day, we've been very supportive and everything, but it has to come. Recovery for anyone has to come from the person themselves. Um, and you're a determined little thing, aren't you? I uh, mean, she's graduated this year in performing arts, um, something we never thought that even three years ago you'd be able to do. I love it. I love it. You're embarrassed to say to me, I'm really tired. Why am I so tired? Well, you're doing a degree. What do you expect? But um, I think also, you know, you must yeah, so that think- it comes... Yeah, because I think you're always looking for something else. So I, through through the OCD and the anorexia, I was always looking for when is that day going to happen? Like, when am I going to get that day where I want to get better? Or how do I get better? Then you just, the only person that's going to do it is you. So then once you come to that realisation that I have to do this, then you kind of, that's where you move forward. When you stop looking at other people and you realise it's you that's doing it and it's you that can do it. You have to be ready to get better before anything will work. Otherwise, I just don't think Mm. you can. In terms of you guys, um, obviously coming together as a family and supporting someone through mental illness is a really incredible thing to do, but it must be stressful for you as well, worrying about someone who you really care about. How do you two, I did not Samantha, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, um, you two make sure that you're looking after yourself? We weren't really. No, <laughs> I'm really honest. That's not good advice. Yeah. Um, no, that's definitely not the right thing to do. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't go out as much as I should. Um, I, I was... I think actually, like, to be honest, I, and a lot of people will probably agree with it, you, you do lose a lot of friends and yes. family yeah. when you're supporting a loved one because mm. pe- there are a lot of people who, not through any fault of their own, but they don't understand and... You know, every, and everyone's living their own lives as well. And, you know, we, I mean, I know I've lost a lot of friends from it. And, and it's affected mine and my husband's social yeah. life. We don't really have one. But but we're... But it's just but we don't do want it to be all... Change, yeah. Like, I think no. we just wouldn't change that. Because um, yeah, you're richer but, in other ways mm-hmm. where, you know, we've got Sam back. And, and your family relationship must be strong. Yeah. Oh, yes. And yeah. even, I mean, the girls have got lovely, lovely, lovely fiancé. So I've got two gorgeous future son-in-laws. Just on the point of, like, looking after yourself, I think it's just looking at when, like, looking at the positive for the future, isn't it? You just mm. keep going because that's that's just what you have to do. There's not, like, another, like, there's no other way. You just have to keep going. And I think the only way to look after yourself is to look at the positive in it, isn't it? Well, we gave up our life, really, to mm. the... But, but like Charlotte said, you know, we wouldn't change it because of where we are now. Mm. And I think in one of the books, I think I Hope With OCD, you said mm. when Charlotte said about how she'd given up a lot of things for Sam, but she wouldn't change it because she didn't doesn't know that she would be where we are now. Mm. You know, they are really mm. tight and really close. Mm. Whereas... I think it is important, like, if I went back, I probably would have done a couple of things differently, like... 
you know, like maybe taking a bit more time to yourself, you know, even mm. if that's just mm. taking like an afternoon or an evening or, or something. But then it's easier said than done when you're looking back, isn't it? I think so. it's also so easy when one family member is struggling for the entire focus to be on that person. And that's yeah. a natural response. Yeah. But I'm wondering, obviously, you guys are twins. How did you as a sibling kind of make sure that you weren't feeling like forgotten or left out? Or did you feel that way? I think all? I did feel that way, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. For any parents of siblings, how do you make sure that, you know, while you're putting everything into the child that's struggling, you're also looking after the other one? To be fair, I think mum and dad did as much as they could to try not to. I think it just doesn't detract from when you know that your sibling's ill. Like I, I do think mum and dad did everything they could. Like, I remember dad... <laughs> dad's side off bags and I remember <laughs> mum made dad go out and buy me a designer bag because she didn't want me to feel left out and so that I had time with dad yeah. and it's I know sound really spoiled. it makes me sound really spoiled <laughs> but it's like the time with dad the time yeah. with dad so he took me out and he bought me a, a bag and but I was like I did I did turn into a bit of an angry person because yeah, you were a teenager and that's when you're yeah. forming your identity yeah. I remember at school once this girl asked it was she was supposed to be a friend and she asked for a bite of Sam's sandwich when Sam had the eating yeah. disorder. So and she I needed went, that bite. I went mad, like mad. I was like, how dare you? Like, it's a pretty normal thing to sometimes ask to try each other's food, but obviously Sam needed the food. And, um, yeah. But, no, I think mum and dad did as, as good as best they could. I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's only so much time in one day and so much energy you have. For parents who might be listening, it's just checking in every so often to maybe just even having a 10-minute chat. So I think mm. most siblings do understand and most siblings who I've spoken to do understand. Mm. But, you know, there's only so much some there's only so much parents can do especially when you know one child's ill exactly i think just yeah. wanting to clarify that it is normal to feel that way because yeah. i think people feel guilt for being like well why am i kicking off like the other person's ill but yeah no it's i completely think it's normal. totally normal like to feel resentful and like and stuff like that and i think but we've put that in the books haven't we yeah, yeah. i've been I really honest and open like in, in the books yeah. about how yeah. you know because i resented it at times as well we we all did mm. but you know like charlotte yes. said you don't look back you look forward i think one thing siblings could do actually to be fair or i i don't know how it goes about it and things but it's getting maybe like therapy for the sibling mm. so it gives them somewhere to because that's one thing that i didn't get but that's not through any fault of mum and dad it just you know I don't think it was as big a thing at that time. It wasn't at all. Yeah, you yeah, know, 10 so years ago. Well, it was 14 know. years ago. Well, yeah. So, yeah. so you're figuring out what's wrong with the sibling, yeah. not, you know, the other one's sort of doing what they're doing and they're healthy, so, you know, most of the time. But mm. I do think if if it, that's a good thing, and I think most siblings wouldn't ask for it because they wouldn't want to be a burden, you know, because they're mm. probably thinking, well, my sibling's ill, what, you know, why am I being... And same with parents as well. Like parents need to accept that you might struggle if your child is sick. Yeah, It's natural to maybe need some extra support and it's a good idea to get that support. Doing mm. it on your own as well because family therapy is good, but I think people do... They need a safe space, don't yeah, they, where they can say what and, they want to say. And I wouldn't want to have sat there in mm. front of Sam, mum and dad and said, oh, I feel really angry and resentful. 
Can you tell us a bit more about the books, why you decided to write them and how you set about it? My first book was Hope With Eating Disorders and one of the mums that I was working with suggested that I start to write a book because my way of thinking was so radically different. And then I co-wrote a book with Natasha Debham, Fundamentals, which is still doing very well. Obviously, then we did the OCD journey and I thought Charlotte had come to work with me by then, full time. And I thought I'd like to write a book on OCD because there wasn't any out there that I could really relate to. And I've ended up um, working with a wonderful publisher called Hammersmith Health Books. And um, she's really encouraged us to just write. She lets me write how very open and honest. We wrote Hope with OCD, which was published in May this year. Um, But it's now up for the People's Book Prize. Oh, yeah, which is really exciting. Um, And then she asked if I would write a second edition of Hope with Eating Disorders. And then being quite cocky, I thought, (laughs) oh, all you do is put 20% extra. Well, I ended up totally stripping the whole book back and rewriting the whole thing because as you said like things have changed things have advanced so much in seven years um i was been i've been very blessed that a lot of people in the eating disorder world have contributed to the book they're not kind of memoirs are they more kind of self-help so the unique thing about them is we have a lot of contribute like a lot so in hope with eating disorders we had about 80 contributors um, and they're just people from all around the world, all different walks of life. And they give you inserts into like their experience. Mm-hmm. So for someone reading, there's just always something relatable in there. And they're just really down The books earth, become very they? real. I talk yeah. very openly. Um, there's no like... There's mom, no big words because yeah. I don't know any. So you haven't got to go mm-hmm. and look at any art. And we've got therapists um, from... All the therapies we talk about, there's actually some someone who specialises in yes. that therapy describing mm. it in there. Like alternative um, therapy. Yeah, so yeah. like from hypnotherapy, CITAP, CBT, everything. It's a very unbiased book which offers, because obviously there's no, no two people are the same, no two yeah. people suffer the same, and no two carers are the same, and no treatment, not one treatment doesn't work for everyone. So in every book, there's all the different styles of treatments. So do you feel like these are the kind of the books that you wish that you'd had? Yeah. Yeah, because some of the books that I bought, I actually made them feel even worse when I was reading them because they didn't offer any hope within all the books. It it shows that you can recover. Whatever Mm -hmm. recovery is, it gives the reader hope. But it's very real in that as we said before, like it goes through the different stages of recovery. So it's it's kind of relatable for everyone, isn't it? So there's mm. different people where recovery means different things to them. So it's not that everyone's gonna, yeah, end up the same. It just shows you that it's and just it's, like a perfect And Sam's yeah. poems are in some Sam's poems. Yeah, Sam's poems. Sam it's has her own book. Hope <laughs> But um, but no, Hope with Depression, I think, is probably me opening up a little bit more about, um, because I've I've struggled in the past, and I felt myself struggling a bit this year, and that hence why I wanted to write Hope with Depression, and I took some, mainly because of writing books and working with clients and juggling this, that and the other. No, I I took the right, the steps to sort myself out, so, and then the publisher said, well, go on then, 
Put it in a book. Not, not yeah. that one out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so to end on a positive note, families, parents, anyone suffering, what are your kind of top tips? What should they do other than read your books, obviously? Of course. Um, never give up, I would say. Mm-hmm. Never, give up, never give up. Never accept that this is as good as it gets and talk to each other. Yeah. And don't be afraid of what you can't see. Yeah, I think don't be afraid of mental illness. Yeah. And Safa were always thanking, at, you know, when they are in their recovery, that you weren't afraid of it and that you did face up to it and that you did push them. They will be, you might not think that in the moment when they're kind of reacting back, but they will be. And deep down inside, they, they well, most likely want you to be pushing them. They're just very brainwashed. And always have hope. Thanks very much to the Crilly family. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring. They're on 116123. You can also find us online. We're on Facebook. We have a lovely group called Mentally Yours. We're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. Thanks very much to our producer Sam Bonham, to Lucy Baker for the jingles and to all of you for listening. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.